Good morning. This is Tommy Ray, and we're in episode 54 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. This is October 18, 2022. We're going to continue a discussion on the Colorado River and introduce water use in the other signatory states to the Colorado River Compact and to some of the water problems they may have. Since we ended last time talking about Indian reserved water rights in Utah, let's talk about water generally in Utah and then dive into its relationship with the Colorado River. At the end, we will talk a little about the definition of reserved water rights and how they are implemented. Most of the information in this episode comes from the Utah Division of Water Resources and from an article in the Salt Lake Tribune on September 16, 2022. Utah is the second driest state in the country. Average annual precipitation is about 11 inches, varying from 5 inches per year in portions of the Canyonland country of southern Utah, about 8 inches over the Great Salt Lake Desert, and up to 50 to 60 inches in the Wasatch Mountains in northern Utah. FYI, Nevada is the driest with an average statewide of about 10 inches a year. Colorado comes in at about 17 inches. But with all three states, the amount varies dramatically with geography. The mountain areas get a lot more precipitation, usually as snow, and low-lying areas get way less than the average. Precipitation is also seasonally variable. Winter snow is the primary source of water for spring runoff, which fills reservoirs and restores groundwater. Precipitation in Utah, like all other places, varies between years. Of course, variability makes water planning difficult. There were a series of particularly wet years in the 1980s, the runoff exceeded reservoir capacity, resulting in flooding in the streets of Salt Lake City and pumping water from the Great Salt Lake to the West Desert. Now, the entire western half of our country is in this 20-plus year drought, triggering conflicts between different water users, concerns about low levels of the Great Salt Lake, and an increased interest in water conservation throughout Utah. We all know that evaporation from the Great Salt Lake leaves salts that accumulate over time. The salinity results in unique life forms and mineral deposits. Utah is trying to protect these unique features. Utah is split into two large watersheds or basins, which dictate where water ultimately flows. It's almost like a line was drawn north to south through the center of Utah. 
the western half of the state is part of the Great Basin with no outlet to the sea. Salt Lake City is in the western half, the Great Basin half. Most of the water in the Great Basin flows to the Great Salt Lake. The Bear River is the largest river in the Great Basin with an estimated natural flow of almost 1.2 million acre-feet per year. The Bear River originates in Idaho and serves both states. Thus, there is a compact between Idaho and Utah on the Bear River. The Great Salt Lake also receives water from the Weber and Jordan Rivers as well as smaller tributaries that flow west from the Wasatch Mountains. Like other states, Utah diverts runoff from its mountain streams. Water that would have run into the Great Salt Lake is stored in Utah Lake, Bear Lake, Willard Bay Reservoir, Deer Creek Reservoir, Jordanelle Reservoir, and many smaller reservoirs. If this water was not diverted, it would have run into the Great Salt Lake. Not all rivers are runoff in the Great Basin flows into the Great Salt Lake. One example is the Sevier River, which transports water to Yuba Lake and terminates in Sevier Lake. To me, this is like Great Salt Lake Jr., in that water evaporates from Sevier Lake and concentrates salts left in the lake. I'll have to go see it someday. All of the watershed in the eastern half of the state merges with the Colorado River. The Colorado River is Utah's largest river. The Green River, which originates in Wyoming and flows through northeastern Utah, is a major tributary to the Colorado. They merge in the Canyonlands area of southeastern Utah. Utah has a unique position in the middle of the river basin, geographically and politically, and it wields less influence than thirstier and more populous states like Colorado, California, and Arizona. Utah doesn't contribute much water to the Colorado River as it flows from the Rocky Mountain headwaters through Canyonlands National Park to Lake Powell. Remember, this is a desert area. Under the Colorado River Compact, Utah is entitled to 1.37 million acre-feet of the Colorado River per year to be used within the state. Utah currently uses about 70% of this allotment. This accounts for about 27% of the total water used in Utah. Compared to neighboring states, Utah is less dependent on water from the Colorado. Still, the state is aggressively pursuing conservation measures. Most of the state's water supply comes from the Bear River and from rivers that drain off the Wasatch Mountains and flow west toward the Great Salt Lake. Approximately 7.3 million acre-feet per year is used in Utah, of which 4 million acre-feet is used for agriculture and 1 million acre-feet for urban uses. Same story in Colorado. Sounds like 80% of the water is used in agriculture. Agriculture that grows crops in the desert.
Water demands include agricultural demands, municipal water supply, industrial uses, and water for the environment to support aquatic habitats and ecosystems. Subtracting ag and municipal demands from the total implies that about two or two and a half million acre feet is left in streams and rivers to provide environmental benefits such as fish habitat and stream flow to sustain the unique Great Salt Lake ecosystem and its surrounding wetlands. Its sprawling urban centers along the Wasatch Front, which is home to 80% of the state's population, are outside of the Colorado River Basin and are less dependent on the river than cities like Phoenix or Las Vegas. As said earlier, only 27% of the water used in Utah comes from the Colorado River. The majority of the state's water supply comes from other rivers that drain toward the Great Salt Lake. Under a 1948 agreement, Utah is entitled to 23% of the water used by the four states in the upper Colorado River basin. Receiving less water than Colorado, but more than either Wyoming or New Mexico, and it typically uses around 1 million acre-feet of water from the Colorado annually. For decades, Utah has sought to develop diversions from the river by pursuing projects like the controversial Lake Powell Pipeline, which would transport 86,000 acre-feet of water from the reservoir to St. George and the surrounding areas. But the state's use has remained relatively static since 1994, despite its fast-growing population. 22 years of drought in the basin have caused the Bureau of Reclamation to put more pressure on Utah and the six other Colorado River states to reduce use and abandon development plans. The states are gearing up for renegotiations of water use guidelines that expire in 2026. Utah's designated representative in the discussions, Colorado River Commissioner of Utah, Gene Shawcroft, said the drought has made planning difficult. It's hard to look out four or five years If you can't see past next spring, Shawcross said, part of our challenge all along has been to really focus on the renegotiations when we're faced with such a critical day-to-day situation. Shawcross said Utah is committed to planning for 2026 while also participating in more immediate water negotiations, such as the Bureau of Reclamation's call for water users across the basin to reduce use by as much as 30% next year to stabilize rapidly depleting levels in Lakes Powell and Mead. Utah is aggressively pursuing conservation measures through a broad suite of state legislation passed this year, Shawcroft added, including a law that allows farmers to forgo irrigation without losing their water rights. But he said bringing the system back into balance will likely require the biggest cuts 
to come from the largest water users in downstream states. From my perspective, a law allowing farmers to forgo irrigation without losing their water rights is a step in the right direction. Such a law should also be passed in Colorado. Jack Smith, director of the Center for Colorado River Studies at Utah State University, said that since 2001, agriculture has used over two-thirds of the Colorado River water use in Utah. An additional 15% is pumped out of the Colorado River Basin, primarily to supply the Wasatch Front. In light of the fact that 70% of the total Colorado River water is used by agriculture, Smith said, it's hard to imagine that agriculture won't be taking the most significant cuts. But reduction in water use doesn't have to hurt the farmers' bank accounts. Agriculture very well might be compensated for following its fields, he said. Well, at least Utah recognizes that cutting back on Colorado River water means cutting back on farming. If only we could get Colorado to recognize the same thing. Over 300,000 acres of land in the state are irrigated with Colorado River water, mostly to grow forage crops to feed livestock like alfalfa. Another continuing use of a valuable asset to raise low-value crops. I know farmers will not like to hear me say that, but it's true. Wake up and see what's going on with water use today. If agriculture is fairly compensated for leaving their water in the stream, I think this would be a very good thing. Environmental groups like the Utah Rivers Council point to residential water use and low water rates as evidence that more conservation in that sector is possible and needed. Maybe so, but still most of the water reductions should and must come from agriculture. The potential retirement of coal plants in Utah in the next decade which uses 6% of the Colorado River water, could free up some supply for conservation or other uses. Another consideration is tribal water rights in Utah, which must be satisfied through the state's share of the Colorado River water. A court decree has recognized the Ute Indians tribe to 144,000 acre-feet of water, but the tribe may receive far more water if it settles its water rights claims with the state and the federal government. The Utah portion of the Navajo Nation settled its water rights in May and has a recognized right to 81,500 acre feet. These are probably the state's officially recognized rates. I have read elsewhere and previously reported that the Ute Indian rights recognized by Utah are about 225,000 acre feet, but the Utes claim 
Utah owes them 550,000 acre feet. That's a lot of water that would probably have to come out of Utah's share of Colorado River water. I'm not in a position to know really how much water Utah will owe to the Indian tribes within its borders, but whatever the number, it's going to put more stress on the river. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez said his administration's priority is to supply the thousands of Navajo homes in Utah that still lack running water. But he said the tribe might consider leasing the remainder of its water to other users. If we're going to be sitting on paper water, as they say, Nez said, and we're not able to use it, we might as well lease it to those that are in need. (laughs) Hooray for him. That's exactly right. All of these factors will likely have a role to play as the basin states renegotiate guidelines before 2026. And the negotiations will surely have to include reserved water rights. So before we quit today, Let's talk just a minute about reserved water rights. The doctrine of federal reserved water rights generally traces its origins to the 1908 Supreme Court decision in Winters versus United States. There, the United States Supreme Court ruled that when the United States set aside an Indian reservation, it impliedly reserved sufficient water to fulfill the purposes of the reservation, with the priority date established as of the date of the reservation. Over half a century later, the Supreme Court had occasion to revisit and build upon this turn-of-the-century decision in Arizona versus California in 1963. In that case, the court held that the reserved rights doctrine is not limited to Indian reservation, but also applies to all federally reserved public lands, such as national forests, national recreation areas, and national wildlife refuges. This ruling affirmed the potentially significant scope and extent of federal reserved water rights. The Supreme Court has had several occasions to expand the reserved water rights doctrine. For instance, in Capert v. United States in 1976, the court upheld an injunction against groundwater pumping that would have jeopardized one of the purposes for which the national monument at issue had been established, preservation of the desert pupfish thereby extending the reach of the reserved rights doctrine to protect federal reserved rights both from injurious surface and groundwater diversions. In 1978, in United States versus New Mexico, the court denied the Forest Service's in-stream flow claim for fish, wildlife, and recreation uses. Specifically, the court denied the claim on the grounds that reserved water rights 
for national forest lands established under the Forest Service Organic Act of 1897 are limited to the minimum amount of water necessary to satisfy the primary purposes of the Organic Act, conservation of favorable water flows and the production of timber, and were not available to satisfy the claimed in-stream flow uses. This decision established that questions concerning the existence and quantity of reserved water rights are largely dependent upon the reservations authorizing legislation and the specific purposes for which the land was reserved. So clearly, federal reserved water rights will have to be discussed when the Colorado River Compact is renegotiated in three or four years. Tough decisions will have to be made. I'm glad I'm not going to be hammered for decisions I might make if I were Colorado's representative. I would rather go relax by my favorite mountain stream. Come join me while it's still running. See you next time.